Welcome to the Jewish World Podcast, where we go in depth on the issues most affecting the Jewish people and the Jewish state. I'm your host, Alex Rifchin, and this podcast is brought to you by the Executive Council of Australian Jewry. Hello and welcome to the Jewish World Podcast. This episode is a special one. We bring you just one guest in recognition that there is one global issue that takes primacy at the moment, and that is the devastating invasion of Ukraine. Since the war commenced on the 24th of February, more than 1,000 civilians are confirmed dead. And there are reports that thousands more may have been killed in the besieged city of Mariupol. More than 3.7 million people have fled the country. Many millions more have been internally displaced. And a major health crisis from malnutrition, disease, and a lack of clean water threatens the country. To discuss this war, its causes, aims, impact on Ukrainian life and national consciousness, and prospects for a diplomatic solution, it is my great honor to welcome Ukraine's senior diplomat in Australia, Mr. Volodymyr Sholkivsky. Volodymyr Valentinovich, thank you for making the time to join us. Uh, thank you for, for your invitation. Yes, it's my honor to be with you. Yes, um, um, it's a very challenging time in uh, modern history of Ukraine. Um, we... Um, um, we were warned, we were told that the attack is possible, that it, some even told us that attack is imminent, but uh, we, we did not expect it. It, was, it came as a shock uh, to majority of the people in Ukraine, including the leadership of the country, um, simply because it was against any logic of normal people. Um, if you would like other country to be on your side, uh, it's really a strange way to kind of persuade another country with bombs and not a kind of uh, financial rationale or kind of uh, proposals for cooperation and, and so on and so on. <clears throat> so, um, um, this was a very cruel uh, while most people were sleeping. It was 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And uh, um, um, the most challenging time was maybe first five days when there was a panic on, on the ground, when Many people, um, like right now, it's the figures are already already known that it's around uh, three, <clears throat> three three point five million already um, left the the territory of our country, and um, around uh, seven million actually moved from the eastern and central part of our country to the western part, where it's more safe. Uh, Mm, uh, and uh, people staying there. So, um, um, it came as a, as a shock to majority of us. Uh, and uh, uh, we learned it with a, high, high, with a very high price. Yeah. Uh, the price, uh, it's uh, of, of the lives of innocent people. Um, but, um, uh, well, 
there were many predictions, uh, even from the some European capitals, that um, um, while our my colleagues uh, approached some of the cap some of the leadership um, that uh, with the with the request for help, uh, the answer was that there is no reason to provide assistance to Ukraine because you will fail, you will fall uh, in, in three days. There will be an, another government that um, we will discuss uh, kind of further dial uh, that we, we, we had to, we would uh, establish new dialogue with them. Yes, that was the position of, of some of the capitals. Um, so, Ukrainian military, Ukrainian people surprised everyone, including ourselves. We were surprised as well. Uh, there are many factors. Uh, first of all, there is a already political nation inside Ukraine, uh, free people who are determined to live in independent country. And uh, th those people are determined to fight for their freedom. Uh, and uh, we have quite good military. Uh, we have already eight years uh, as a, uh, well, it was a slow pace fighting in Donbass, but it was active stage was uh, during 2014-2015 uh, with uh, uh, pro-Russian terrorists in Donbass. Um, and uh, we have, of course, uh, all our military have real combat experience. Uh, we have around 400,000 people with uh, uh, combat experience that uh, were decommissioned uh, after serving in, in Donbass. Uh, so those people are actually um, uh, formed the base for the Territorial Defense Force that is uh, right now more than 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. that uh, are joining our military um, to defend our country. And another point is uh, that uh, the uh, Russia itself, Kremlin itself, was not prepared for the full-scale war. The, yeah. they, they were, the, their intention was to top the government, to, to capture the Kyiv, and uh, that was in, uh, kind of uh, expectation from, this, from their side that the population uh, uh, will be at least neutral or yeah. or they will welcome kind of yeah. uh, Russians as a liber liberators. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was a big surprise to them that actually people are, are uh, ready to uh, assist our Ukrainian military yes. to defend our country. And some actually uh, were ready to prepare Molotov cocktails yes. themselves. Um, it's, uh, it was a failure in terms of uh, planning for, for Russian invasion. Uh, they, they, have, they still have huge problems with logistics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, they also... Um, um, it's appeared that uh, this, uh, uh, the, the might of second largest army in the world uh, is um, overestimated. Uh, yes. That... Uh, uh, yes, there are, for example, 1,500 military jets on the papers, but uh, they brought around 500 to the borders on the eve 
of the attack on the 24th of February. Um, so out of these 500, our military uh, were able to shoot down 120 during one month. Uh, so it's uh, more than uh, 20% uh, during one month. And uh, there, are, there are heavy losses among uh, soldiers and officers yeah. uh, that are already equal to some extent to the losses that uh, Soviet Union experienced in Afghanistan for uh, during 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it looks like it's... Uh, 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 in, in terms of figures, it's uh, uh, quite similar to what they have right now um, yeah. uh, in Ukraine during one month. Yeah. So they're not prepared. They were not prepared there and they're not prepared now. Of course, they keep reinforcing their, their military. Uh, they uh, send in new and new battalions from Far East, from Siberia from uh, um, uh, those so-called peacekeeping forces in Georgia, uh, Russian peacekeeping forces, I mean, uh, e even in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, in, in, in Armenia, yeah. um, that they are short in, in terms of uh, military yeah. uh, professionals. Yeah. Uh, they already kind of... Um, seriously considering and they're sending actually those, those uh, special military mercenaries like Wagner yeah. Group. Yes, yes. Um, so um, it's, a, um, it's a big picture and uh, um, you, of course, I, I don't want to repeat uh, though the, the reports that already extensively published uh, in uh, Western media uh, everywhere. Uh, uh, I can only say from the government point of view that um, there is no doubt from our side that we will prevail, that we will defend our country. Uh, it's just a matter of time and matter of uh, casualties. Yes. Um, unfortunately, there are a number of cities where the humanitarian catastrophe is already in place. Yes. There are mass graves uh, for civilians. Um, I, I mean, first of all, Mariupol. Um, uh, there is no access for the humanitarian organizations over there. Uh, and uh, there is a, it looks like there is a strong determination by Kremlin to capture at any cost yes. uh, the, the city itself. Um, there are bar barbaric and uh, cruel um, attitude, uh, uh, aggression, aggressive acts towards civilians on the ground. Uh, there are numerous facts of war crimes committed by R Russian army. Um, we are preparing, already preparing all documents that will be sent to international criminal courts. Yes. Uh, we will push for the uh, restitutions uh, that Russia will pay for everything that, that was done in Ukraine, they will pay eventually. And uh, they will also return all territories, yes, including Crimea. But we understand that it will take time. We are not going to have, well, we are going to protect our territory, but we do remember that Russia has nuclear weapons. Yes. 
So the, the, the picture is complicated, uh, but we uh, are confident that with the, this significant military support and humanitarian support that we receive from our partners uh, and with the strong morale among Ukrainian people, yeah. ordinary people and uh, uh, our military, uh, we will um, defend our country we will push all um, Russian uh, occupiers out of the borders of our country. Ukraine, a peaceful, Ukraine is a peaceful country. We, are, we never ever in our history uh, waged um, uh, the uh, aggressive wars uh, towards our neighbors. But um, uh, we are already sovereign state for many years. We um, are confident that uh, we will win this battle and this war. So um, at this point, uh, maybe I can stop and in case there are some questions, we can discuss it further. Sure, thank you. Um, I, I wanna look at the motivations behind the invasion. Vladimir Putin has been clear that this war from his perspective is motivated by uh, allegations of ethnic cleansing, of genocide of uh, ethnic Russians in the Ukrainian regions of Luhansk and Donbass. Uh, he's spoken about Russian culture being erased and prohibited and that this so-called special operation is to protect and liberate ethnic Russians. And there are of course close parallels in this rhetoric with that used to justify the annexation of Crimea in 2014 and Russia's war with Georgia over South Ossetia and Abkhazia in 2008. But when President Putin speaks at length, he seems to reveal other deeper, even more sinister motives. He speaks of the illegitimacy of Ukraine as a state. He speaks of the great injustices he sees it of millions of ethnic Russians ending up outside the borders of the Russian Federation following the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. What, in your view, is really behind this war? What does Putin want? Uh, <clears throat> we can start uh, uh, from the articles that were published uh, uh, in Russia half a year ago by, well, the author was uh, Mr. Putin himself, where he actually questioned uh, the um, uh, right of uh, Ukraine to be independent, uh, that it always to his mind, belong to, to Mother Russia. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, that is why, make no mistake, this is not about NATO uh, membership of Ukraine. This is not about Russian-speaking um, population that kind of suppressed in Ukraine. This is about restoration of uh, mighty Russian empire. And Ukraine is just too um, important uh, for Kremlin uh, uh, on its uh, way to restore a Soviet uh, Union, former Soviet Union. Uh, so um, um, it's obvious that, um, well, um, there are so many Russian-speaking people in Ukrainian army right now, and it's uh, really difficult to understand how you can kind of support Russian-speaking population in Ukraine by uh, wiping out Russian-speaking cities and towns 
because yeah. the the fighting, the the most heavy fighting, take took uh, place and continues to take place in actually a Russian-speaking eastern part of Ukraine, yeah. where there are where up until now there were significant or to some extent significant pro-Russian sentiments, but Mr. Putin himself just ir- kind of eradicated uh, or erased any pro-Russian support in, inside Ukraine yeah. by, uh, by destroying all majority of uh, um, um, Russian-speaking uh, cities. Because central Ukraine and western Ukraine was always kind of, kind of critical towards Russia. Yeah. But eastern part of Ukraine was um, there was significant presence of Russian-speaking uh, population. There was uh, historical ties, yeah. Russian church. Mm, so, and again, what kind of logic in, in it? You are destroying the the part of the country with the biggest, where the biggest uh, number of uh, supporters uh, is, uh, and uh, you expect uh, on friendly relations and uh, um, so um, uh, this is about Russian propaganda, Russian false narratives and uh, um, uh, I believe under present circumstances already can kind of can uh, understand the 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 the, um, uh, how you should um, treat or um, analyze the yes. the messages uh, coming from Kremlin. Yeah, and on, on that point of propaganda, another key message from the Kremlin uh, is that this is about the denazification of Ukraine, uh, and that propaganda seeks to flip the roles of the parties and recast Ukraine as the aggressor, even though it's being invaded, while depicting the Russian invasion as something like the heroic struggle of the Soviet Union against actual Nazism in 1941. And some Western observers, particularly those on the extreme left, seem to have accepted this narrative of liberation from Nazism. And they point to the inclusion of the Azov Battalion in Ukraine's National Guard as evidence. I I wanted to give you the opportunity to discuss this accusation and present the reality of Ukraine's government and its armed forces. Um, Well, um, it's really difficult to kind of... uh, um, uh, discuss um, the validity of, uh, of such uh, kind of statement while we have a um, president who is Jewish uh, and comes from a Russian-speaking um, uh, part of uh, our country, uh, industrial city of uh, Krivirich, and we have Jewish minister of defense our previous speaker of the parliament, uh, Volodymyr Groisman, was also Jewish. Uh, so it's a little bit controversial to my mind uh, how you can describe this situation as a Nazi um, uh, environment. Mm-hmm. With regard to Azov, um, well, um, again, we, uh, the, it's a... Uh, topic for the good, uh, uh, probably uh, academic discussion, how you consider those 
military, paramilitary groups and their kind of uh, uh, narratives and uh, um, uh, their statements. Um, um, and uh, um, in terms of uh, kind of uh, uh, their position, um, this battalion is located in the one of the most pro-Russian pro um, regions of Ukraine. And it has popular support among Russian-speaking, and majority of them are Russian-speaking. So um, there is no anti-Russian, there, there was no initial kind of anti-Russian messages. There were anti-Putin, anti-Kremlin messages, because people who are participating, the significant part of them are ethnic Russians. Uh, it's not about supremacy of Ukrainian nation. It's about defending territory of Ukraine, where many people live, including Russians, um, Greeks, Polish, Jewish, and so on and so on, against aggressive policy of Kremlin. Actually, Mr. Putin himself, he... Uh, inspired, he created a kind of this feeling among, among peaceful peop people that they have to be united. They have to be ready to fight and defend our country. And many actually people in Azov, they flee Donbass after Russia invaded and inspired these pro-Russian uh, terrorist groups over there. So it was forceful. Azov was created only after uh, 2014-2015, uh, first uh, Russian-Ukrainian war. Uh, this is not about some kind of uh, uh, Ukrainian, um, historical Ukrainian movement. Right. Right. This is a forceful reaction uh, among um, uh, Ukrainian, Russian, Polish, Greek, and other uh, people who would like to defend our country against aggressive uh, Russian policy. President Zelensky has emerged as a symbol of resistance, freedom and hope, not only for the people he leads, but all over the world. From the Jewish perspective, there is great pride in the fact that a Ukrainian Jew has emerged as the new symbol of Ukrainian national unity and independence. What does the ascent of President Zelensky say about Ukraine and the current state of relations between Jewish Ukrainians and ethnic Ukrainians? Uh, you know, uh, it was maybe second or third day of the uh, war when the um, Russian missile hit a memorial in Babin Yar in Kiev, where the mass killings of Jewish population took place in 1941. And it was quite a symbolic that a Russian missile that came from a Russian Nazi army uh, hit the memorial established by Ukrainian people uh, to commemorate the victims of uh, Nazi, German Nazi um, atrocities in Kiev in 1941. Um, Mr. Uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky has enormous support among ordinary people of Ukraine. 
uh, and among different political parties because everyone just united behind yes. our government, our president, because they uh, did not betray uh, us. Uh, he was proposed to flee to, to the safety, but uh, you heard his answer that he needs munition, missiles, not the Uber drive. And this is something that ordinary people uh, would like to, to hear from, his, from their leader, that he's, he's going to stay with them until the very end. Uh, and uh, this is something that earned him respect. Uh, though, even half a year ago, there are, were very challenging times for him inside Ukraine, because of course, there were very high expectations when he uh, came to power. And uh, um, uh, of course, um, uh, it's really difficult to fulfill uh, such high expectations. But right now, he has maybe 90% uh, plus support yes. inside Ukraine. Uh, and uh, there is no doubt that he will remain in office for uh, as long as he as he can, uh, according to our constitution, and as long as he uh, will be able to to do it. But uh, um, this uh, situation proves that um, uh, don't you don't have to jump into conclusions too early about uh, um, people uh, because nobody expected from him such powerful leadership during such challenging times. Let me just thank you sincerely for your time and I want to send best wishes to you and to the people of Ukraine on behalf of the Australian Jewish community and our President Julian Siegel AO uh, and to personally convey my best wishes and hopes for strength and peace for the people of Ukraine. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Thank, thank you. you. And that concludes this episode of the Jewish World Podcast, brought to you by the Executive Council of Australian Jewry. Find us and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share the episode through your social media.